lesson is titled, a very simple message I put together for today specifically called The Goodness of God. And um, while you guys are getting your drinks, feel free to get up and get your drinks and do what you got to do. But um, it's going to be very focused on God and His goodness. And we'll get, we'll get going. So if you guys ever imagine... I'll wait for that. <laughs> I'm an overcomer. Okay. <laughs> this is why this is why we're here. Okay. So, the goodness of God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you right now, God. We pray that we have an open heart to receive your word. We pray that you give us strength, guidance, understanding, God, in your ways, in your light. God, show us the path. Help us to walk in a way, God, that is uh, worthy of our calling, God, of being saved, of being your child, of being kings, God. We thank you today, Jesus. We honor you and we praise you. Most importantly, God, I pray everyone leaves here with something, uh, a blessing, something special, God, unique to what they're going through. In Jesus' name, amen. So most oftentimes we find a struggle in life because we seek to be noble. We seek to be, um, we put this idea of a concept of being a good person up on a pedestal and we begin to climb and chase after it and the, the the saddest thing about this is it it never happens you you go through church you go through life you go through christianity and you seek the doctrines and you read and you go to different churches and different groups and different religions and they all tell you the same thing you do good to attain being a good person or to attain a certain righteous standing right and then those people who who semi look like they've attained it we kind of either view them as very hypocritical, right? Because we know what they know about themselves, right? Is that in us is no good. There's none of us that are honorable. There's none of us that are noble. No matter how good or how well we dress our intentions, we're all spiked with a little poison, little disease called sin. So man tries to be noble and man finds himself at odd with the ability to actually get there. Okay, so today we're going to go through this story. It's a story of two tables, two dinner tables. And it's an, it's an easy story to understand because you think about one table, there's, it's going to be in Luke 14. The other table is in Luke 15. There's two tables. One table is this man, Jesus, the perfect man he lived. He was the only one noble among us, the only one honorable, the only one good. There's no man, there's no one that's good but except him. And so he sits at this table, this first table in chapter 14 of Luke, and he's sitting there with religious people, okay? And the conversation he has at this table is almost remarkably the same as the conversation he has at this table, okay? One table is, on the first table, you see, you see Jesus having this conversation about that those who come to a wedding party, okay? They come to a wedding party. Imagine being invited to a wedding party. You're invited, you're, you, you come in, right? But modern times, if you're invited to a wedding, I recently went to one, and they have assigned seating at a wedding now. So the, the parable Jesus was giving was like, when you come to the wedding, make sure you don't come and sit in the front. So we kind of understand maybe culturally, it was more of a freelance, like first come, first serve kind of deal, right? That's, what, that's how people would usually approach the wedding. But regardless if you came first at, to the wedding, didn't mean you belonged close to the groom and the bride, right? So he says, be careful. He tells religious people, people in the Bible who know God's law, who are apparently good, who are apparently right with God. He tells them, you, okay, are here in the front. You're coming like you're sitting, in, like you belong in the front. But be careful because if you think you belong in the front, be careful because I will put you to the back. Be careful. And he says, those, when you come, sit at the back so that you can be brought to the front. See, he's, he was trying to get this idea out of their head that maybe we think we're good somehow. We think somehow we can attain goodness of ourselves. And so when we come to God, we somehow think we deserve a level of blessing from God based on our goodness. We can be blessed by God, but it's not on the basis of our goodness. If that was the truth, we should actually be suffering more. This is why Christianity is based on what? Jesus. It's based on his goodness. His goodness never changes. 
because he's forever alive, perfected before God, 100% perfect, never changing. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. So the basis of my receiving from God, the way I receive from God is based on the goodness of Jesus. It's not on the goodness of myself. So he says, if you're going to come to the table, sit at the front of the table, based on, your, based on thinking you deserve it, you'll be put to the back. So he says, we all have the same basis. We're all, you're invited to the wedding. You're invited to the party. You're invited to this opportunity to have communion and relationship with God. But how you see yourself as deserving in relation to deserving it matters. So Luke 14, 25 through 33, this, this first part is all about following Christ and that his mission was for this. The least, the last, and the lost. That was the mission of Jesus. The least, the last, and the lost. That's his mission. Okay, So he's sitting at the table with these religious people who don't see themselves as least, last, or lost. They actually think they deserve to be at a table with him. More importantly, that maybe he doesn't deserve to be at a table with them. They have this attitude. So when you start reading the Bible, a lot of people have these, these insane ideas that we read into the Bible. And I'll tell you one of them. We read, have you ever read the story of the prodigal son? Everyone's heard of it, right? This is, this is a nightmare because the story is not about a son. The story is not about the prodigal son. If you read the story, it's actually about something. Ty- it's, it's, it's clearly about why Jesus eats with sinners. Because 14, he eats with religious people. 15, he's eating with sinners. He's eating with the least, the last, and the lost. Okay, so we're going we're gonna to read the end of 14 and then read into 15. And then kind of get this picture put together. Because we're looking at two dinner tables, okay? One where he sat with the Pharisees. He tells them, if you exalt yourself, you'll be humbled. We always kind of think of this arrogance. Like we see like maybe football players and they kind of have this macho arrogance. And we, oh, be humble. You know, we all want to humble them, right? Not understanding that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about how you see yourself as far as your sin in relation to God. Do you see yourself as some, oh, I'm 50% righteous and I'm... 50% 50% bad or I'm 10% bad and I'm 90% righteous. The percentage of yourself that you see righteous, that's the part God can't touch. That's the part God can't bless. This is why we believe there's none good, no not one. We're all on the same basis. We're all on the same ground. We're 100% bad. We don't trust this flesh. We don't trust this body to do the right thing every time because guess what? Have you have you have you ever heard of the saying trust no man? Right? Have you ever trusted somebody? We have all experiences. Trusted somebody who said they would do something, but they ended up not doing it? Because it's innate. It's in our DNA, in our very DNA, to fell, fall short, to come short. And this is where we get disappointed. Any person who's disappointed, guess where it's, guess where it's founded in? It's founded in the fact that they have trusted in themselves. <clears throat> Or trusted in man, in, in someone else's flesh, right? We trusted someone else to do what they say they were going to do. But guess what? They ended up not doing it. So the whole story here is about, it's very simple. It's about what do you value? What's important to you? Imagine sitting down, having a conversation. I used to have these conversations all the time doing financial planning. I would ask people, what's important to you? What do you value? Tell me. Talk to me about your life. Talk to me about what's important to you. And I always thought this was like, this was super spiritual, even though I was doing it like financially as a job. But I found this to be the same question Jesus is asking in these stories. What do you value? And so he tells them, okay, give up your life and follow me. Then he says this in um, Luke 14, 34, salt is good. Okay. He's, re- he's making a parable. A parable is an analogy. It only goes so far. But if the salt has lost its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? We always read this story and we're like, okay, you're salt, go be salt, right? You're salt, go be salt. We apply this in that way. But notice here, salt is to preserve, but that's not what it's talking about. In those times, they would have used salt to preserve meat, right? To make sure that it doesn't go bad when it's on travel. But here, he's saying that it 
this reason he's talking about salt is for flavor, not for preservation. Okay? So he says salt is good, but if salt has lost its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land nor for the dunghill, but men throw it out. He who has ears, let him hear. So he's saying, what's a parable? A parable is Jesus trying to communicate a message to people who are hungry enough to hear. So not everyone can understand it. But we can go back and look and actually find understanding of this. So that's what we're going to do. So we understand salt is good. So it's not talking about man in this context. So I'm talking about you being salt. Okay. It says salt is good. So good. God is good. God is the one that's good. If we are his disciples, we are the thing he's seasoned. He, okay. Man is nothing. Remember, that's the context. That's the true context of 14. Man is nothing. Okay, so man in himself has no flavor. Do, 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 do you get what I'm saying? So that when we have God, because he's good, we become flavored. He's the flavor of our life. Do, do you see what I'm saying in this context in particular? That it's not talking about you being salt on your, from your own will. Oh, I'm going to go out there and be salt and try to love people. And that's where we kind of get mixed up. We, we, we always look at, okay, I have a burden for people. I care about people. No, no, no. That's great, but that's limited. What about if we carried his burden for people? His burden. Because for God so loved the world that he gave and sacrificed, right? That's his burden. His burden shows demonstrations of love that would actually sacrifice a life for the, for the world. So his burden is much more than me just, oh, I care about people. Like, oh, that's great. We, I'm pretty sure we all care about people, but how many care about people and then never seem to get anywhere with your ideas for helping people, blessing people, doing stuff for people, you know? How, how many have tried to do good but felt restrained by your motivation? You just didn't... You have the thought, you have the idea, but it's limited. Why? Because it's restricted to just us in our own self. But over here, the burden comes from God, which guess what? It's a source of power and strength and motivation that never stops. So this is what Christianity is about. It's about dependence. Do you depend on self or do you depend on Christ, right? Do you, do you have more faith that he'll supply or do you have more faith that you'll lack? Because you're going to have faith for one of those things. What are you having faith for? In a situation, you're confronted with life upside down. Your, your whole situation is upside down. And you have two choices. You either have faith that it's not going to work out or you have faith that somehow God will supply and make a way and you'll overcome, right? And is it on the basis of yourself? Because you somehow are good or you somehow deserved it or you somehow earned it. No, this is what the difference with Christianity is. We put man and say, we're not going to require good from man anymore. What we want to see is how man uses God's grace. How can man utilize this invisible source of power and strength and provision and healing and all these things that, that we talk about in Christianity? How can man take that, use that, because it's free, right? And it's up to you. That's why it's according to your faith. Let it be according to your faith. How, how much of God do you want? Will, be, will determine how much of God you can give. Right? And it's free because it's paid for. The reason why you couldn't access it is paid for. It's done. So he's talking about salt. Salt is used to season things or preserve things, but he is focused on the flavor here, not the other elements of salt. If salt doesn't season, it's not salt. That's what it says. That's what the verse says. Believers are to be a reflection of God's goodness. So it's not, it's not this in the sense where um, I am like God, okay? I am like God. I'm copycatting him. Okay, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about possession, that I have God in me. It's not, it's not that I'm trying to become him separate from myself. It wouldn't make sense because then he would be God, then I would be God. I'd be trying to be like God, right? I'd be trying to be a God if I'm trying to copycat him. That's not what Christianity is. Christianity is, is that we possess God in us. So he always remains God. I always remain angel. 
I never at any point think that I'm more of myself than I was before. I'm always the same self. But I have become more dependent on a nature that's stronger, more powerful, more influential, more dynamic, more charismatic, more loving, more kind than myself. Okay, that's what Christianity is about. It's not about man just putting a list. Okay, let me, got that one done. I know it feels good, right, to do checklists. I did a checklist yesterday. I did everything on that list and it felt good. I was like, okay, it felt really good. But, and that's kind of, we get addicted to that, right? As human beings. So let me, let me, let me move forward into the point. So God is the salt that gives our blandness flavor. And when we believe in Jesus as Savior, we become flavor for others. We become a meal for others to have. So when people taste of the goodness of God in our life, right, it's not bland. It's flavorful. It's, it's important. You'll see why I'm talking why this is important. So God's goodness is dual. We in reality, we have the goodness. The, God is good in our lives and we use that goodness to bless others. So it's how I receive from God that determines how much I'm able to give. It's how I receive. How well I receive determines how well I give. The Bible says it's more blessed to give than to receive. But with God, it's more blessed to receive. Can you give anything God to God? No, it's already all His. Well, let's start with your breath, right? It's His. He gave you breath, undeserved, unearned by grace, don't deserve it, not good enough for it, right? Were you a good baby? And then he's like, all right. No, you need breath to be a baby, right? <laughs> to be an existing living baby. So we start off with God giving us something. Now here, what's the point of saying God is good if we have no proof? What's the point of saying you have salt, but it has no flavor? That's what he's saying. What's the point of saying that God is good if there's no proof that he's good in our lives? This is where a lot of people have found disappointment with God, right? Because they're like, well, apparently God is good, quote unquote, but I don't see his goodness in my life. That's the harsh reality that we have to deal with sometimes. We're just like, what does this mean then? I don't, I don't see that he's good. But let me tell you why. We look at our lives, we make mistakes, and we have disqualified ourselves most often from being able to receive from God based on our behavior. And we see our behavior, and so we walk away from God, we turn our backs on God for a moment's time, and it's like, okay, I can't receive from God anyways because I'm like doing this, right? And guess what? We become disconnected from the only thing that gives flavor to our life. But that flavor is given in spite of what kind of meat you are. I know that's kind of a weird analogy, but yeah. So we must have more faith in God. God is good. And then, so there's a verse of scripture. I'm going to kind of jump over here real quick. Um, it's in Romans. Sorry, Romans. And it talks about how the goodness of God is what leads to repentance. So have you ever heard this before? Repentance is re, okay, re, again. Repentance, sorry. To again be sorry, right? So repentance from an from a English perspective is that you always have to be sorry. You always have to be sorry. So the goodness of God will make you be sorry. Does that make sense? Kind of messes with our heads a little bit, right? Why? So if I see that God is good, then it's going to make me sorry. So we obviously, we, we've dug deeper and we said, well, what does this word really mean then? And if you go back into the original language that the Bible's written, it actually means a change of mind. Metanoia. Meta means change, right? Metamorphosis. Meta, you know, you use the word meta in, in modern English as a word for change. Noia is where we'd get the word knowledge, right? Or or. Or knowledge, noia, meaning thinking knowledge. Knowledge is in your mind. So what the goodness of God is supposed to do is change how you think. You, you are introduced to God, okay? And I'm going to prove this through a story right now. You're introduced to God. None of us have a standing to receive from God of ourselves. But he's demonstrating his goodness toward us, right? But we have to see... In relation to what? 
I'm a sinner. We're all sinners. We all come short. We all struggle in some way or another. We all, we all defected in some way. We all have things about ourselves that we don't like. We all have values that we, we, we tell people that, oh, I value this and I value that. And then in the back door, betray them. We all have those things, right? And so on that basis, God talking to us or engaging with us, anything from that point is good. It's about perspective, right? It's about perspective. We, we, we talked about it this last time. Why do good people suffer? Well, let's first establish there's none good. Okay, then why do people suffer? You know, you, you take the good part out of it, then it kind of just, well, it makes sense after that. When there's none good, why isn't there more suffering? And then that, that becomes the question. So Luke 15:1 says, Then all the tax collectors and sinners drew near to him to hear him. So notice how the sinners, it's all of us. They come near to him, okay? They feel comfortable enough to come near him. Then verse 2, it says, The Pharisees and scribes complain, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Verse 3, So he spoke this parable to them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? That's the song we sing, right? He leaves the ninety-nine, he goes for the one. So, notice this, how it says, what man of you? The story, and then this is, this is the other part. And when he found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls his friends together, the neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. So this good shepherd, okay, goes out, leaves 99 in, in, in their gathering, okay, goes and finds one sheep. What is this story about? It's about a man who was so good, good enough to care about one sheep. Okay. It's not about the sheep. It's not about the sheep. Let's, let's, let's just do English. Like, you know, let's, let's go to English class for a moment. What man? What's this, who's the story about? About a man. Right? And Jesus is giving this example for what? To explain to Pharisees why he's eating with sinners. Why he eats with the bad people. He's using this story to explain that. So he's saying, what man? He's the man. Right? And what he's saying is that my purpose and intention is to come and to reach the last, the lost, and the least. Those people, that's what I'm here for. It's about how good of a man he is. How good God is. That's what the story's about. To the point where he says, um, I, and when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Okay? So he's saying this story is the goodness of God is what leads someone to change their mind about serving him. Do you, do you see the difference in the story here? That if, you, if you read the subtitles in your Bible, it's going to say the lost son, the lost sheep, the lost coin. Right? You read your subtitles and it adds that in there. It's not, that's not what the stories are about. But because of religion, we've constantly read that into there. Oh, prodigal son, you know, God's, you know... The father's just sitting at home waiting, you know, and then the son comes back. We're going to deal with that, too. You'll see the same, same, same issue. So he says um, in verse 8, Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? Notice how this, she searches for it with care. God cares about you. God cares about you. Then it says 9, And when she found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. Repentance is a change of mind. So over one person, you're lost. You're hurting. You're broken. You, in yourself, you feel like you're nothing. You're worthless. You're, 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 you're down and out, right? You see that in yourself, and you're just like, what do I do with myself? You see the ugliness of yourself. And what, what God is saying here is that he's so good, he'll go out and find you. He'll go out and find you. And his intention is to what? Is in how hard he seeks for you to show you 
how good he is. So that you do what? You change your mind about him. Does it say that like, oh, like is it, is it explicitly about repentance? No. It's explicitly about how good this one person is to go and find something so small, so quote-unquote insignificant, so worthless, that he's so good to go out and find it and bring it. Okay, we'll do one more because there's one more story. And it says, verse 9, or verse 10, Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. So, when someone changes their mind about God and how good he is, then the angels in heaven get excited. We've always, we've always made it about other things. Oh, like if they get baptized. Do you know if someone's probably getting baptized, they probably already repented and the angels already had their party? I'm just saying from a technical standpoint, because we always like, oh, this little, and I'm, and I'm so happy to throw someone a baptism party, I, I promise, I'm with it. I, I got baptized back in February, it's coming up, right, my anniversary. But I'm just saying, as an example, is that we have put the emphasis on the wrong syllable. I heard it like this before, the emphasis on the wrong syllable. You don't know what I'm saying because I'm not pronouncing it right, you know? I'm not putting the emphasis on the right letters and words. We have to put the emphasis where God puts the emphasis or else we're, we're, un- we're not gonna reach people correctly. That's what I'm saying. This is why the world has a problem with religion because, we've, because we tell them things, oh, you have to pray hard for God to answer you. Instead of telling them, you could pray for two minutes with faith and have more success with God than praying hard for eight hours. You know, we, 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 we've, we've, we've weighed the wrong things because this looks like, oh, this looks like you're doing more work. So whoever does the most work, yeah, they should get rewarded. But God's not here to reward works. He's here to reward faith. So let's keep going. Next verse. And he said, a certain man, again, a certain man had two sons, right? So the subject is the man. The secondary is the sons, okay? And the younger of them said, you're going to notice this story. Okay, you know how there's two sons in this story? You've, you've, heard, you've probably heard about it before. The two sons represents the two tables, okay? One son is very disappointed at the end. One is very happy at the end, right? One is, very, is, is celebrating, having a party. We'll see actually reading the story. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of the goods that falls to me. So he divided them to his livelihood. Verse 13, and many days after the younger son gathered, gathered all together, journeyed to a far country and there wasted his possession with prodigal living. Well, we take the word prodigal right there, prodigal living. We take that and we make, that's where they make the story of the prodigal son. Okay, so he wasted them on um, uh, licentiousness or like just kind of wasteful living. And you'll notice here that he asks his father for his inheritance. Give me my portion. Okay. Kind of saying you're dead to me. Give me my portion. He takes it. Goes out. Completely wastes it. Okay. So now he's getting a bit dramatic on the losing part. You know how the coin is lost? Can a coin repent? No. Can a sheep repent? Like technically speaking? No. Right? So, th- so on those portions... He said one story, they didn't get it. Why he eats with sinners. I eat with sinners because I'm here to show them how good I am. So they can change their mind about how they're living. He doesn't say change your living and then I'll show you how good I am. He says I'm going to show you how good I am and that would inspire a change of living. So this is why it's impossible for people to repent or to change their lifestyle until they see how good God is. It's impossible. You can't do it. It's impossible. If you tell, oh, you need to change your habits or your ways, no matter how bad that avenue or road takes them this way, whether it's prison, whether it's death, whether it's disease, whether it's sickness, it doesn't matter how bad it is. It's not until they see that God is good that they'll change. But the focus has always been change, 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 and then God will reward you. God will honor you if you do what's honorable. And we make that mistake and therefore never reach anybody. 
And then they come to church and they come to these meetings and then, and then we involve them and then they kind of semi-change, but then five months later, it's back to square one. Do you know why? Because they still don't believe God is good. We never gave them a chance to see God was good in spite of their actions. That they were made righteous in spite of their actions. You're not made righteous because of your actions. You're made, righteous, you're made right with God in spite of your actions by having faith that Jesus' actions were enough to make you righteous. So this is, this is the, the, the trick, right? Because we make the story about the son, about his wasteful living. And when we see people struggling, we're always like, well, okay, like, how can I help them change? How can I help them change? Or, or why won't they change? And we get upset because we see people in addictive behaviors around us and they, and they never change. They even come to church and then they sometimes hear messages, you know, if you change your life, then God will bless you. We're not gonna be that place. We refuse to be that place. We're here to tell you that in spite of where you're at, God wants to bless you. So that now, once you receive that blessing free, you can change. You can't change without it. It's impossible. It's no matter, I, I'll go to war with anybody on this. Because I believe it. Romans 2, 4. This is where it says, In the goodness of God, do you despise the riches of his forbearance? So the riches of his waiting. Do you despise the riches of his forbearance and long suffering? So God is waiting on you and he has this wealth to give you. Okay? Do you despise it so much? Not knowing that the goodness of God, these riches, are what lead people to repentance. So simple, but misread, because nobody wants to read King James, right? <laughs> well, it's cool. So I read King James, and I'll bring it, I'll bring it back down. <laughs> then it says, verse 14, But when he spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. So he's in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country and sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that swine ate, and no one gave him anything. Verse 17, but when he came to himself, so when he came to himself, when he finally realized, I made a mistake, okay? He said this to himself, how many of my father's hired servants, okay, have enough bread to spare, and I perish with hunger, okay? Is he spiritual right now? Is he being spiritual? Is he being, oh, okay, like, I want to get right with God. I want to, you know, I want to finally do the right thing. No. He was in want, and he said from a, from a want, from a position of want, the servants eat better than I'm eating right now. They eat way better. And I'm here starving, and I'm here hungry. I, I might as well just go be a servant. But look at, this is the beauty. He came to the mentality from verse, from chapter 14. What happens? What did Jesus say? Come as if you belong sitting at the back. That way when you're brought to the front, you can actually celebrate and worship. Okay? He finally gets to a place where he put himself at the front. Demanded everything. Right? So I want everything now. Give it to me now. And then he went, wasted it. So God gave it to him. Right? God blessed him either way. He was in a good place, and so he wanted more. This is, this is the problem with us. Even when we have a lot, we still want more, right? Insatiable. He takes it, he wastes it, he comes to himself. He doesn't come to himself like in a spiritual sense. He just says, I'm starving. Someone feed me. I might as well go back, humble myself, right? And be last in my father's house, be a servant. It's much better than this. So what does he do? So what does he do? He changed his mind. That what? My father's house is better. God's ways are better. Put that in any, any struggle you have, right? Any sin you struggle with, anything that you feel is like morally wrong that you're doing involved in, you're lying. You have a problem lying. You just keep com compulsively lying, right? Is it until you believe God is good in where that when you tell the truth with genuineness, okay? If you tell the truth and you're rude, don't expect anyone to want to hear you, okay? <laughs> I understand, I'm gonna I'm tell it how it is. Yeah, you tell it rude and nobody wants to hear that either way. Say it with a nasty attitude. When you're, tr when you're honest and sincere, right? That's when 
no matter what you're being honest about, will get you further with people when they can sense that you're sincere. So you see, okay, God's way is better. Okay, well, stealing. The him who still still no more. So you, you, you're, you're stealing, you're, you're defrauding people, you're, you're coming up, right? That's what I call it, short come up. And what happens? You change your mind about what? That God is good enough to provide. I no longer have to force God's hand by me stealing and taking and I can trust that God will give me the opportunity to get what I need or want. So this is repentance. This is what repentance really means. But we've messed up and put people at altars, crying, snobbing. And I'm not saying that that's bad. You, if you get there, you get there. I understand that. But I'm not saying, is that I've seen many people cry and never change. Many people get emotional about it, never change, because their mind is not convinced that he's good. God is the greatest psychologist. He knows how our mind works. He knows exactly how our mind works. And he knows, it's actually, it's, this stuff is even scientifically proven, psychologically proven. They've done many studies on the fact that when someone actually does good, okay, when good is happening, it propels more good. So, when you're loved, you end up loving more. When you feel loved, you end up loving more. Psychologically proven. Chemically proven. Biologically proven. I was actually listening to something the other day that was talking about oxytocin, and oxytocin in the brain is the release of love, of the feeling that you're loved. Okay, it's a chemical. And when you have that feeling, it actually inhibits addiction. So imagine not just being loved by a person, but being loved by a perfect father whose love never changes and never wavers and never goes up and down. It's consistent, right? And if I'm constantly practicing his love, that he loves me, and I'm certain about that, okay, I become susceptible, not susceptible, I become almost insusceptible to addiction, chemically speaking. Crazy how God works. Crazy how God works. It's crazy how when you feel loved, you'll give more. So if I know that I'm loved by God, right? People that are not giving probably don't feel like they're loved by God, especially believers, right? Believers who are who are who are uh, who you know bite the fingernails and only like a, I, I'm only gonna give this much, you know, and this little too much, you know. And that's I, it's kind of funny because like I think God pairs people up with you in your life that are like. Even in marriages I've seen where one's giving, one's not. And, it's just like, and then you're just like, you just give me away, you know? But, um, so he says, I will arise, go to my father, and I will say to him. So he prepares his speech, okay? I will arise, go to my father, and I will say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So this is him practicing his speech. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion, and ran, fell on his neck, and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and am no longer worthy to be called your son. Cut off. He gets cut off here. Okay? His speech. I'm no, no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants. So the father completely ignored him. Okay? He's not, he, didn't, he didn't want to hear his speech. He just went and got the servants. He already knew why he was back. He already knew why he was back. He didn't have to wait for the fancy words, right? That he prepared, okay? I am no longer worthy to be called your son. He was ready to put on the show. The dramatics of like, oh, I'm terrible, God. Like, you know, God, God knows your heart. You don't have to go through all that. Just simplify it. I'm here. <laughs> we're here. I'm here. We're here, right? I say we're here because I want... We all have a day where we feel like this sun, right? There's that, just that one day. Okay, just me. <laughs> you guys are all right with God. I, we preach you all, I preach you guys all right with God already. It's like, you're right with God in spite of yourself. I already believe that angel. It's like, okay. Um, and he arose and came to his father, but when he was still great way off, his father saw him, had compassion, and ran and fell his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the, la the best robe and put it on him. 
put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Okay, these, 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 this, we're not, we won't get so spiritual about them, but they're significant. Because you're talking about a royal family, right? A royal family, a, a household that has an abundance. So he gives him a robe. And the Bible talks about a robe as a robe of like righteousness, right? He brings him back into, into standing, a change of clothes. God has a change of clothes for us. We go from being ourself to having a kingly identity, you know? And that's why when you deal with petty stuff in your life, don't, don't get bent out of shape over petty stuff. You're a king. Royalty doesn't get bent out of shape over petty things. They just know that it's gonna work out because guess what? I'm royalty. It just works. It just works. It's not an arrogance, okay? Let's keep the horses down, right? But then he says, bring him a ring. Okay, the ring is the seal, the access and authority to all that's in the kingdom. So give him. He gave a son who wasted his inheritance and he gives him another way to continue to potentially waste inheritance. Okay, just note, note, note that, note that. He gives him a ring that gives him access to all of the kingdom, all the household, all everything. Then he put, put sandals on his feet. And sandals in that time are used for the highborn, okay? If you're, if you're highborn, if you're in the house of a highborn or like someone that's like um, wealthy, there's even the servants have sandals in some of those houses. So uh, the song, you can read that in the Song of Solomon's, where the, the sandals are for the highborn. And God puts sandals on the feet of the slave to show there's freedom from slavery. So what happens is um, they would give slaves sandals. Here, you're no longer a slave. You're a free man. So this is, these are, there's like little significant things that are happening in this story. But we won't read so much that into the story. Because again, remember, the parable's about what? Why Jesus eats with sinners. That's the whole point of the parable. That's why he spoke this. Okay? And he's explaining it to who? Who are the people listening? The Pharisees. He's explaining to religious people why he eats with people that are quote-unquote sinful or tax collectors or bad or outcasts. He's this is why he's explaining it. And verse 23, and, the, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. And verse 24, and this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. So notice here, is there any degree of dead? Like, so if you, if you have someone who died five minutes ago, okay, let's just do 40 minutes ago, okay, just for technicality state and then someone who passed away maybe a month ago okay and you have them in their containers that I've seen movies and they put them in the little, little fridges right um, and they're there and is there any degree of dead is one more dead than the other no no there's not there's not, oh, this one's more dead because he's been dead longer. He's been dead longer, yes. He has a realization of death longer, but they're both dead. So when we talk about what Jesus is here to do, he's not here to make bad people good, okay? That's what he's, he's not here for that. Jesus will be good himself through us. So he's not focused on that. Once we receive the spirit of God, that's not a worry. It's a fruit. It's just natural. It comes natural. It's supposed to come natural. It's part of being transformed. But you think about the dead. He's here to make dead people live. That's what he's here for. To make dead people live. Because even as Christians, Paul said, there's no good in me. My righteousness, my goodness is as filthy rags. No matter how good I attempt to be, still in myself, I find my very best to still be sinful because it can be tainted with my bad motives. So he's here to make dead people live. So he was lost, he's found, then he began to be married. Verse 25, now his older son was in the field and he came and drew near to the house and he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. 
So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years have I been serving you. Notice this. I've been serving you for many years. I've never transgressed your commandment at any time. Okay? And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. So on the offering table, the Old Testament offerings, um, the goat is one of the higher sacrifices. It means you have money. It means you're wealthy. Because you, if like, for example, Jesus and his, his uh, Mary, what did she offer? Pigeons. So it showed that they were poor. That's, that's how we would understand that Jesus was poor. His family was in poverty. The house of David dwindled down from being king all the way to poverty. Okay? And Jesus came from poverty. That's, that's tangible, physical proof that he was poor for anyone out there in the world that doesn't understand whether or not he was really poor. Right? That's the proof that, that they offered pigeons. In this story, they're offering goats. Okay? So it's higher on the scale of sacrifices. It means they're more well off. So they offer the goat. Notice here in this story that they offer the goat. The son says, you never offered the goat for me, that I may make merry with my friends. Then he says, he, first of all, he, this is what he did. He accused God of not giving him the best for his good works. That's what he was accusing God of. You're not giving me your best, the best that this house has to offer, but I've been the most faithful. How dare you? How dare you? He's mad. He's mad at God. Okay? Because it's not on that basis. And you notice what he says. And he said to him, son, you were always with me and all that I have is yours. You always had access to it. But your issue was you think you had to work for it. You convinced yourself that you could somehow work for what you already have. This is the problem. People say, oh, be holy. So they decide, I'm going to go on a journey. I'm going to try to become holy, right? Instead of understanding that you already have that. 1 Corinthians 1.30. He became for us wisdom, sanctification, redemption, and righteousness. Sanctification is actually holy. He is our holiness. You have Christ, you're holy. Holy Spirit, separate spirit. I have Christ, I have Jesus, I'm holy. I don't become holy, I am holy. And I work from the holiness that's within me. It's different. It's the same situation. The son thinks that he has to do to receive, doesn't think he's done enough. Notice how he's never in his mind fathomed that he did enough to actually deserve the goat. Even though he was in the house the whole time. And he's never, look at his, look at his, his, his self-righteousness. I've never transgressed any commandments. God's requirement is that we come with a true heart. The Bible says a true heart. A true heart means with authentically, with both good and bad, present yourself before God. With all your goodness, with all your bad, present yourself before God. Okay? And because of what Jesus did on the cross, have faith that you're able to receive in spite of that. Okay? Have faith that you're able to receive in spite of that. That will create repentance. That will change your mind about God, about living for him, about his ways, about doing things his way, about waiting, about being patient, about anything you have a struggle with in life. Character issues are solved by receiving from God. You have character issues, you lack integrity, you struggle. These simple things, they're not fixed by, okay, be disciplined, be disciplined. That's like me saying, like Paul says, he says, I became aware of my lust when, the, when I heard in the law, don't lust. So it's going to end up lusting more. So if I'm over here telling you, be disciplined, be disciplined, be disciplined. Does that help you? No, because if you go and be disciplined, you're not transformed. It's not coming from your heart. You're just doing it because you somehow think you'll benefit from um, somehow mustering up discipline. Right? So God's not requiring that. He's requiring that you receive from him to be transformed. That way, discipline is a fruit. It's a fruit. It's a natural result. It's not, a, a deli- it's not something that's instantaneous. It's not, it doesn't happen overnight. This is why we've got to be patient with people. So, verse 32, It was right that we should be, uh, make Mary be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. So, that's 
the simplicity of that story. That it's about a good father, okay, who wants to give you all of his goodness so that you would finally change your mind about where you want to live. Under his umbrella or under someone else's? It's a choice. That's your only choice. Because if you have his resources, his blessings, then you can live with, with the confidence that you have that. So you make every step that you make is with certainty, not with hesitation, because you know that he's constantly supplying. He's constantly supplying. I take a step, he's supplying. I take a step, he's there. I take a step, he's helping. I'm sick and I'm taking steps. Okay, he's gonna heal me. Okay, I'm down and out, he's gonna fix my depression. You know, it's, it's constant steps with trusting that he makes the difference between each gap that you have in your life. Wherever you're at, wherever moment you're at, wherever you're at, in whatever position, he makes the difference. I won't keep you much longer. Um, I want us to pray, and I want to pray a prayer over your life that we learn how to receive from God. That we take, we take an initiative to start learning how to receive from God. And we value him. We start valuing him. We start valuing his goodness and being able to see his goodness and to know that he's a good God. That's the only way that we'll change or be transformed. And I, that's why it starts off with the cross, you know what I mean? Like, he died for our sins. That's the greatest, like, start line of, of goodness, right? Is that he paid for the thing that in my heart I feel bad for and I felt bad for for years and I feel down and out for. He paid for that. That thing I can't get over, that, that thing in my past that I still dwell on, that thing in my past that's beat me up and, and makes me feel like, like, like dust. Like what I actually am made from, dust, you know? I feel like dust. So let's stand and let's pray.